Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, last week we started a series on the storms of life, and I am determined to do this in three weeks. So we're going to go pretty quick tonight, I I suspect. But if you remember last week, we talked to you about the different kind of storms that come our way. And, you know, the reason, the, the, the why of why do storms come into our life, we answered last week. It's a simple answer. John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And whenever he has an opportunity, he's going to take it. Whenever he, he, he sees that you've got the word in you, he's going to do his best to come steal it away. The thief comes immediately to steal the word. Amen. So everybody's going to have storms in their life. It's going to come. You can't believe it away. You can't confess it away. It's going to come. It's going to be up to you as how you handle it when it does come. What are you going to do? Uh, the Bible says that in 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you. Listen, the good news is when you get born again, you are not exempt from storms. But the better news is that you have overcome. That is the, that is the key to it all. You are an overcomer. Hallelujah. Uh, we're going to always, when storms come, turn adversity into opportunity and, and, just, and know that no weapon, no weapon, not some, but no weapon, absolutely none, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Hallelujah. Um, so we're going to, that's, I think that's all the, uh, I think that's all the review I've got time for. Okay, let's move on. Hallelujah. <laughs> Uh, you know, and we did deal with last week, you cannot have an attitude if it was meant to be. You have to understand where, where storms come from, where temptation, trials, they come from. They do not come from God, not orchestrated by God, not originated from God, not okay with God. He's not teaching you something. He's not involved in it. He's there to turn things around. And so never get caught up in that it was meant to be. Or that, well, there's a reason for everything. Yeah, it's called the devil. It's really, really simple. I don't know why people try to make this so hard. It is so simple. If it's good, it's God. If it's not, it's not God, okay? How much easier can that get? Um, you know, Lynn Hammond made this, made this statement. Um, where's my little quote? Hallelujah. Let me find it. Okay. I got too many papers up here. Uh, Okay, I don't know where it is. I'll find it. I will find it at some point here. But anyway, we're just going to move on. All right, how about that? Okay, so now we know why it comes. There are some hows to how it comes. So you want to hear about some hows? How did this happen? You know who's behind it, but how did this happen? I'm going to start with the negative, then we'll move on to to something a little more positive. Uh, Number one, disobedience. Mm. 
Our disobedience can open the door and give the enemy an opportunity to come in with his storms. And disobedience can be intentional. It can be unintentional. Kendra and I were just having a conversation in the office last week about, about the times that uh, here recently we both had an opportunity that, that this, just, this, this just little, little hesitation in your, in your, in your heart said, that said, da-da-da, and we just ignored it, just kept on going. That ignoring of that little something right here led to a bit of a storm. You know, and the storm sometimes can be a big storm. One thing missed because you just decided it wasn't important. You know, but sometimes it's not even a decision that it's not important. Sometimes it's just that we're just so busy, so caught up with life, so caught up in things that we just kind of pass over it. Just like, you know, you've tuned it out. You know, your kids will tune you out. Your spouse will tune you out. They're just, we're just not, we're just not listening. You know, and we have to get better at paying attention to what our own heart and what the Spirit of God is trying to tell us because you can't know whether that one little thing that you've ignored, that you've just not paid any attention to, what it might cost. Now, that's an unintentional thing. There are times when, the, when, the, when your heart... Sometimes it's just your own, the own, your own inner man will tell you, don't do so-and-so. And you will consciously get a hold of that thought and then go, no, I think I want to do it anyway. Now, that's willful disobedience. That's not a good thing. You know, and that can really cost you. That can really cost you. There are times when we're disobedient for other reasons because, well, it kind of puts us out of our comfort realm. I don't want to do that. It's like fear. You know, I don't want to do that because I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. I don't know. You know, offering bucket comes around, you know, for some reason, you know, maybe there's a special project going on. Maybe it's a guest speaker. Maybe God's just put the building fund on your heart. Maybe whatever it is. And you decide not to obey that. God's trying to set you up for a blessing. You know, many, many is the time I've been in a service and God put it on one of us, you know, put it on our heart to, to do something that was significantly more than what we intended to do. I went into that service with X amount of dollars in mind and something else said, no, you need to do this. God's setting you up. Don't let fear of what that might do to your bank account or, or whether you might have enough to cover this or that or the other. Don't let fear keep you from obeying God. You have to become so familiar with the voice of God, with the voice of Spirit, and with your own inner man that you know without a shadow of a doubt that that's not anybody talking to you but that inner man, but the Spirit of God. See, it all, sometimes it all goes back to how, how familiar you are with hearing something besides circumstances, besides what you want or what you don't want, what you like or what you don't like, just listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Listen to what your own inner man has to say to you. Then there's times, you know, we're disobedient because we got some bad advice for somebody. You, you know, somebody said, oh, yeah, this is great. This is wonderful. You can do this. And on the inside, you're going, that doesn't seem right, but you just, you do it anyway. Don't do that. 
Don't do that. I mean, can you imagine? I've, I've known people who bought a car without getting it checked out and then were angry, you know, two weeks later when it breaks down. Well, did you check it out? You know, the Bible talks about counting the cost. You know, there are things that just wisdom dictates that we do before we make certain decisions. You know, if you're going to buy a home, check it out good. You know, find out what's it going to cost you? What's it going to do to your budget? You know, there are, if you buy a car, if you, if you know, whatever it is, I mean, there are things you can check out. Investments, check things out. Then there are times when the Holy Spirit will tell you to do something. You say, ah, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I want to do that? But if you're familiar with the one on the inside, you'll know who's talking to you, and you know that you can bank on what he's telling you to do. Um, Sometimes we make bad decisions because we're hanging out with the wrong crowd. Mm-hmm. How many people have found themselves in a world of trouble because they were with the wrong people at the wrong time in the wrong place? Bad choice. Bad choice. You know, trouble comes their way, and they wonder how that happened. Well, duh. You know... It, it matters who you hang around with because they influence you more than you think. Over the years, you know, you've heard people say, well, I just hang out with them because I just want to be a witness to them. Yeah, but who's affecting who? Is, is your influence overcoming them or is their influence affecting you? And let me tell you, if you can honestly take a good look at it and say, um, you know what, they're hanging around them is really not helping me, then you need to make the decision at that point to cut ties with them. Yeah, but I've been friends with them for 20 years. I don't care. Cut the ties. Too many people have come out of things in their lives, habits and lifestyles, different stuff, and they thought they could hang around those same old people and maintain a walk with God, and it wasn't long before they were right back in it. Right back in it. You don't need to hang around people. It causes their bad influences on you because it causes you to make wrong choices. And when you make the wrong choices, storms will blow in. And that's because you, you weren't obedient. I mean, the Holy Spirit will be telling you on the inside, cut it off. Cut it off. Cut it off. He's not going to make you do it. It's a choice you have to make. Um, going along with the crowd. You know, I, my oldest child was such a strong-willed child. Oh, my goodness. But fortunately, you know, I recognize the fact that that's a good thing. But... It has to be channeled. You know, he needs to learn what obedience is. He needs to learn what respect is. He needs to learn what it's like to submit in, on a job, that kind of thing. But that same strong-willed attitude stood him in good stead when he was a teenager, when he left home and went to college. It didn't matter what everybody else was doing. I'm not doing that. Because he knew it wasn't right. That strong-willed attitude was a good trait. But it just had to be directed and channeled the right way. You know, you just, you can't, you just can't hang around. How about somebody who, uh, a husband who abuses his wife verbally, physically, 
and then wonders why she walked out on him one day. Hello. There are, there are people who sit in churches every single day. And, and, you, and you would never know that at home that it's, it's horrendous. And then one day a wife just gets tired of it and goes, I'm not doing this anymore. Or a husband gets tired of it and says, I'm not doing this anymore. And everybody's still going, well, what in the world happened there? Well, maybe you don't know the details, but in that home they know the details. You can't sow that kind of seed and get away with it. How about the person who does very little on the job? Does just enough to get by. Just enough. Doesn't really want to really work. I can usually tell, you know, when I worked out in the, in the regular workforce, I mean, I worked in several different places, and the people who slid in at the last minute and were gone before 5 o'clock, I mean, if you had a clock, it would not have struck five, five times where they were out the door and gone. And then they wondered when layoff time came, why they are the ones who got laid off. You know, disobedience. That's, that's not treating your employer the way you should be treating them. You know, there's a lot of it has to do with sowing and reaping. When we don't sow the kind of stuff we're gonna, that we need to sow, those bad choices, disobedience to what the Word clearly teaches us, is going to cost us. Actions have consequences, folks. Somehow people think they can do what they want to do and it's not going to cost them something. You know, it's, it's funny how, you know, some people will make bad decisions on purpose and then go, oh, I never knew this was going to happen. They weren't sorry for the bad decision. They were sorry they got caught up in the consequence. You know, um, <laughs> I... I, I Sometimes you don't know the consequences. You don't know what they're going to be until they show up. You, you don't know. Because you just don't know what that, what that one decision, that one decision, what kind of an impact and a ripple effect it could have all down the line. Here's an example in the Bible, Jonah. Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh. Jonah decided he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Out and out rebellion. Now, that was a, a decided choice on his part. I'm not going to Nineveh. See, God wanted to use Jonah to, to save those people. God wanted to use Jonah to save the people of Nineveh. Jonah, as I found out, had a, had a problem with prejudice. You know, let's face it. The, the, the Jews were God's people. They knew from the day they were born they were God's people. They were proud of the fact they were God's people, and they looked at everybody else as something a lot less than them. And so when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, he's going, I ain't going over there. I'm not doing that. You know, we have to stop and think sometimes, you know, well, if God told me to go do something for, for such and such a person, would I do it because God told me to, or would I let some of my other thinking get in the way? Would I dismiss the way I think, the way I feel to obey God? Well, Jonah didn't do that. So he winds up in the belly of a whale. Fortunately for Jonah, he, I mean, well, he's on a boat, you know, and things are happening. He tells them to throw him over. See, his choices, his bad choice was affecting the people that were on the boat with him. And when he said, I know what the problem is, throw me overboard, and then you'll be okay. 
thank God he recognized that his bad decision, his disobedience was impacting all these other people and they were in trouble because of him. And so he says, throw me overboard. So he's in the belly of the whale. At that point, he gets very repentant. He says, God, you know, spare me. God did, took care of him. Well, put him out on the, on the shore. You know, in the middle of all that, I suspect he was fairly stinky. I don't imagine that three days and three nights was an enjoyable place to be in the belly of a whale. You know, and, and uh, but anyway, he got out of it. And the thing about it was I, I appreciate the fact that he recognized his mistake. He owned his mistake. And then he did something about it. He prayed. He repented. And he made a decision to obey God from that point on. You know, disobedience, you know, you can, you, can, you can either let it carry you further on down or you can stop it dead in its tracks when you realize what's happening. It's up to you. If you don't, another bad decision is going to keep you in the middle of a storm. Another bad decision. I mean, how many do we have to have? I mean, there, there are times that I've seen over the years, it's like people, it's like the old nursery round, round and round the mulberry bush we go. We do the same thing over and over and over and over and over, expecting something else to happen, and it's going to get the same results every single time because we never change anything. Anybody who won't own up to, to the bad decisions they make will never prosper. They'll never get out of it, not successfully. Maybe some rescue of some kind comes, you know, and you see this over and over again in people's lives. They make the same choices with the same results. I mean, I, I know of a situation right now where there was, there was a situation in this, in this home, and the way, the way this one generation was raised did not produce well. A second generation came along, that had to be raised, not by the second generation, but by the first one. Uh, so here somebody is raising grandchildren the same way they raised their children. No different, no different outcome. Same bad thing. This person would never, ever see that there was a problem with what they were doing causing these results. As time went on, Another generation came. This same person is making the same mistake that they did with the first time around and still wondering how come it's not any better. How come things are turning out like this? That every successive generation that they were dealing with got worse than the first one. And I'm just, I, I, I've, I've just shook my head over the years, just in awe of the fact that you don't seem to understand. You are the problem. You are the, you are the problem. Won't see it. Just won't see it. And so nothing changes. Listen, at some point in the middle of our disobedience, we have to make a change. We have to stop See what, what there is that we can change, what we can, what we can fix. Generally, everybody knows. Generally speaking, if somebody's in the middle of something and they're going, what is this happening to me? You already know. You don't have to have a great revelation. There doesn't have to be, you know, some kind of the skies opening a voice from heaven say, this is your problem. We all generally know. 
It's not a mystery. Now the mystery is, are you going to do something to change it? God can redeem any situation. There may be fallout from the, from the initial consequences. There may still be some fallout there, but God can redeem it. You know, he can, he can bring favor where the fallout's concerned. He can give you wisdom for future decisions, but only if you're going to be obedient to the direction he gives you from now on. That's where the decision lies. Hallelujah. Number two, how did this happen? Number two, it's because you're being obedient. Listen, just because you're doing everything right doesn't guarantee you a storm-free life. And in fact, it generally causes you to, to uh, be going down the road with a target on your back, so to speak. Anybody who's ever decided to follow God is going to have a target on their back. Because the enemy doesn't want you succeeding in life. He's going to try to, number one, to see if he can steal the word out of you. You go back over to Mark chapter 4 and see the parable of the sower and the four different kind of grounds that the seed was sown in. That will tell you a lot. But you, you have to decide whether you're going to stand. The devil wants to see if, if you're really going to stand on the word of God. How deeply rooted is that seed? How deep does it go down? How established are you in what God has said to you, what the Word says to you, or what He's told you to do? Going to Ramah was, was not an easy thing for me. Um, you know, storms hit right away. I mean, number one, my, my parents and his mom did not want us going. My dad, who never said anything to us, and all, I mean, we'd been married for nine years at that point. And, uh, Daddy was real good. He, he, his philosophy was, I made my own mistakes. You can make your own mistakes. You want, you want some advice? You can ask me. Otherwise, I'm not going to give it. But when we started to go out to Oklahoma to go to school, he, he made one statement. It's the only time he's ever said anything like that. And he said to me, he said, of all the crazy things y'all have ever done, this is the craziest. And I thought, well, I wonder what other crazy things you think we've done. <laughs> okay. You know, but, you know, we knew it was the right thing to do. We knew it was the right thing to do. And as soon as we got there, I mean, we, and we had done everything we knew to do as far as to get ourselves ready to be there, ready to follow what God wanted. I'm still dragging my heels a bit, a good bit, you know, at this point. I, I'm, I, I'm willing, I'm obedient, but my willing is not quite where it ought to be, okay? I have to, I have to tell you that much. But I, I knew on the inside it was the right thing to do. I just knew it. And so we get out there. I mean, we have, we've planned, we've planned for our house in, at Jackson, in Jacksonville is rented out. We, we know what we, we've got to pay in rent. We, we've got money set aside for his tuition to pay it in full. Now we've just, you know, we've, we've got an apartment rented. We've, we've got all these things. The car's paid off. We don't owe anybody anything, you know, except, except the house. And the rent's going to take care of the mortgage. You know, all that's, all that's good. Everything's fine. Now we need a job. And we only had, a, had X amount of dollars from the, to last from the time we got there until a job could be found. Now, we already knew Pastor was not supposed to work while we were out there. And 
he was going to be Mr. Mom, which was a great thing, you know. There's a, there was a lot of understanding of the wife here after that nine months of being Mr. Mom. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm looking for a job. I haven't worked an x-ray in five years. This has been how long it's been, it's been since I took an x-ray. I mean, I'm not even sure if I can still do it, you know, but, but I'm looking for a job. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do most anything. I mean, I applied. I looked in the paper. I looked at ads. I did all kinds of things, but we knew the kind of, we knew what, the money we had to have. Now, in Oklahoma in those days, a typical salary was like $3.15 an hour. That was 1980. No, 79 when we got there, yeah. And you think, man, that's nothing. Of course, you know, bread was not, I mean, you know, it's all relative. You know, but we do, we had to have, I had, I had to find a job making $5 an hour, and it didn't look like there was anything like that to be seen anywhere there. He was leaving a job making $10 an hour, which for 1979 was big money. And so, you know, the, the weeks are going by, and I'm, I, we, were, we were in a townhouse in an apartment complex. And, and so I found myself sitting in the dark on the stairs just with my head in my hands going, Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? What are we 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 going to do? It's been three weeks. I have no job. What are we going to do? The money's running out. I've got two kids to feed. What are we going to do? And he comes along and he says, isn't this fun? And I said, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Well, you know, God opened doors, you know, for me. I mean, all because it followed the leading of the Holy Ghost. Just an unconscious following of the Holy Ghost took me to a job that I wound up with making $5 an hour to start with. And just about four months later, I was making $7 an hour, which is unheard of in Oklahoma in 1980. Unheard of. You know, and, and just, I loved that job. They loved me. I loved them. I didn't want to come home. You know, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was great. When he said, we got to go back, I said, why? Well, I thought we were going to stay two years. No, we got to go home. For what? I don't know. We just have to go. I'm thinking, you drug me out here. Now I have to go back? I mean, come on. You know, but, you know, obedience will cost you. And during that time, we've had many opportunities to say, okay, God, you know, we're, we're here because you said come. And it looked like a storm was just, you know, just all over the place, you know, at times. I mean, my children have to eat, God. They have to eat. If I don't, it won't hurt me, but they have to eat. You know, so you, you find yourself in a, in a place where you're just going to be hit with things because you're obeying God. You have to know the difference. You have to know. You have to be sure. When people step out to do something for God or make some decision, you better have the word of God backing you up. You have to have an inward witness that says, absolutely, this is the right thing to do because you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. The enemy's going to do his best to knock you off that decision. He's going to, be, he's going to do his best to steal the word of God out of you. Paul, you know, he was... He was Buffeted. I mean, you go and you read all the things that happened to him. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was stoned. All, he was shipwrecked. All these kind of things. In the middle of it all, he found himself saying, in whatever state I find myself, I'm content. Because he knew he was doing the right thing. 
You have to know when you're obeying God that you're doing the right thing. The disciples, when they got out on the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up, they were doing the right thing. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They were doing what he said do. They were doing the right thing and a storm comes up. When you're doing the right thing, don't be surprised if the storm comes up. Jesus had just got through doing the Sermon on the Mount when they got in that boat. Something that we see and refer to now. But he said, let's go to the other side. Why? There was somebody waiting for him on the other side. The madman of Gadara was waiting to be delivered. See, when God tells you to do something, there's somebody waiting. At the end of that obedience, somebody's waiting for you. The enemy doesn't want to see the fruition of that. He doesn't want to see a success in that area. He doesn't want to see the person who's waiting, the thing, the situation that's waiting down the road. He doesn't want to see that come to a place where victory is evident. Doesn't want to see people delivered. Doesn't want to see people set free. Doesn't want to see answers to problems. Doesn't want to see people that, that suddenly are free from their sin. He doesn't want to see that. So he is going to do his best to keep you from obeying God. But Acts 10, 38 says how Jesus went about doing good. See, he was oppressed. I mean, let's face it, Jesus had to weather a lot of storms. 1 John 3, 8 says, in fact, let's just go over there. 1 John 3, 8. And we're just going to read about halfway on into this verse. It says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That was Jesus' purpose for being here. It's also his purpose for living on the inside of you. His purpose is so that you're a light and you're a witness that you demonstrate the power of God, that you demonstrate the glory of God, that you demonstrate the provision of God. And if the enemy can stop it, he's going to. Be prepared. You know, just like the, the, they, they tell us at the beginning of every hurricane season, season get, your, get your list out. Be prepared for storm season. I'm telling you, be prepared for storm season. Be prepared. Don't get caught off guard. The, the very minute you think you got it all together, you know, you're just, we're just floating down the lazy river, he's going to blindside you. Happens all the time. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. You know, it's coming. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. You know, is anybody old enough to remember the Flip Wilson thing? Do you remember, remember, remember Flip Wilson? What was one of his favorite phrases? The devil made me do it. It's so funny how, how people want to say, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He gave you an opportunity and you chose to do it. And sometimes we want to over-spiritualize things. Oh, the devil made me do it. He did. No, it's, it was just me making a dumb choice. I mean, I've made some dumb choices in my time. I can't blame it on anybody but me. 
And at that point, thank God, his mercy endures forever. <laughs> and it does. God has, has redeemed so many mistakes that I've made. And I suspect you could say the same thing. He's redeemed so many mistakes, so many bad decisions, so many times when I just absolutely disobeyed him. You know, one of my favorite ones to tell of when I disobeyed is when I was sitting in, a, in one of Dad Hagen's services. And again, you know, it's offering time, and I had decided this is how much we're putting in the offering, and the Lord told me to double it. And I went, I ain't doing that. No, I don't do I mean, I knew, I, knew, I knew who was talking to me, and I went, I don't want, I don't want to do that. I got this, this, and this going on. I don't want to do that. So I disobeyed him. So it's Friday night. We drive. We always drove home when he was, had meetings in Florida. We always drove home after the Friday night service, if it was Miami or if it was Lakeland. It was easier just to get on home and get in our own bed. I don't care what time it was when we got there. So as we're driving home that night from Lakeland, we're coming through oh, somewhere around Ocala. And they were, 75 was under construction. And that same voice that told me to double my offering, that same voice that I chose to disobey, consciously disobey, that same voice said, you better slow down. And I'm thinking, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, there's nobody on the road, you know. <laughs> Okay, you know, I did it. So I didn't slow down in a few minutes. Here we got the blue lights coming. And it was a construction zone, which I don't understand why you're going to get a big ticket in a construction zone when nobody's working, but okay. But the lesson of that, the moral of that story was I gave the state of Florida what I should have given God. I would have had a whole lot more blessing coming to me from God than the state of Florida. You know, so don't say the devil made me do it. He didn't. Sometimes people want to over-spiritualize things without taking, you know, responsibility for decisions that they've made. And, um, you know, you just, uh, you just have to deal with that. Sorry, but that's just how it is. You can face adversity in God's will and out of God's will. I think the safer place to be is in God's will. Safer, much safer. In the middle of the storms that come with it, I'm still safer in God's will than out of it. Because what got me into the place where I'm out of God's will will likely keep me there if I'm not careful. So, even when you've acknowledged a problem, though, don't beat yourself up. You know, just say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, help me. He is gracious. He is kind. He is merciful. And he is there to help, even when we've done, we've done something stupid. Um, hallelujah. Don't let people talk to you about acts of God. Natural disasters are not acts of God, you know. And there are things in your, happen, in your life that happen that are not acts of God at all. So uh, we don't need to develop, you know, a passive attitude towards storms. We need to run at storms and say, I can handle you. I can handle you. Don't get discouraged. I mean, really, honestly, when you know you're obeying God, the fact that a storm comes should 
help you know that you're doing what God wants you to do. That should be like a positive thing, a reinforcement. Yeah, I'm doing what he asked me to do. Hallelujah. How about that? The devil thinks I'm, I'm a bad enough uh, threat to him that he's going to throw something at me. This is good. You know, you have, you have to have a right change of attitude about things. Uh, you know, if God were to tell you to, to maybe quit your job and start a business or something, you know, be ready. Be ready. The enemy is going to test you. He's going to try you. He's going to tell you this is not working. But when you know without a shadow of a doubt that God told you to do something, then you just laugh at the fa- in the face of the storm. The Bible says that he who sits in the heavens laughs. You need to get like God and spend a lot of time laughing when the storms are raging. Joy will put you over. Joy will put you over. But a whiny, woe-is-me pity party is not going to help anybody. Not going to help anybody. You are not going to get out of it like that. God wants you to praise him in the middle of every storm, everything that goes. You praise him when the times are good. You praise him when the times don't look so hot. You just keep praising him because he is on the throne. Hallelujah. Then, okay, that's two. Number one was disobedience. Number two was being obedient. There are times when we find ourselves in the middle of storms because of somebody else's disobedience. We just happen to be caught up in it. Because what they do affects us somehow. How about the, the, the person who's, who works in a particular company and the people who run the company or own the company make some bad decisions? There's a, an example uh, of a guy who's a Rama grad uh, up in Canada that we know. And he, he's actually Indian. And so he came over from India, came to Canada, immigrated to Canada, and uh, got born again. Uh, God started talking to him about going to Ramah at a certain time. He was working for a company. And I don't remember now the circumstances of what happened with the company. Things were not going well at all. At all. But he prayed for his company every single day. And it looked bleak. Here this man has been praying for a long time. And it looked bleak. And one day the bosses came in. They told everybody, we're going to have to shut down. Y'all are not going to have a job. And he's going, you are not shutting this business down. I prayed. I've prayed for this business. It's going to flourish. Do you hear me? It's going to flourish. And you know what? Things turned around. And when he left to go to Ramah, he, he left well supplied. And those people who owned that company, it was not a large company. Uh, it was a very small company, actually. When he, when he got out of Ramah he, and he went back in, and went into ministry, those people supported him. But, you know, they had made some decisions. They were making decisions that weren't exactly the best decisions. So he was being affected by it. And he stood. He said, no, I've prayed. I have prayed. This company is going to be a success. I have prayed. You know, we find in the, in the Old Testament the story of Joseph, uh, not Joseph, but Jacob, who worked for Laban. Laban knew he was blessed because of Jacob. Wherever you work, they should know they're blessed because of you. It, it will help you if you pray for who you work for. Pray for your bi- the business that you work for. Pray for the people you work with. Pray for the people you work under. Pray for them. 
You know, there are times I've, I've, heard, I've heard lots of stories about people being in companies where they were not being treated well, that somebody, a supervisor was treating them badly. Pray for them. Pray for them. You know, don't be subject to that person's decisions. Don't let yourself be hemmed in by that person's bad decisions. You know, in the, in the Bible, in the, in, the, in the New Testament, we can see Paul. He was on the boat. He told those people, don't sail. Do not sail. If you sail, there's going to be harm. And they sailed anyway. And he found himself in the middle of this horrendous storm. Did you know that storm lasted for two weeks? Can you imagine being in a storm on the ocean for two weeks where even the most seasoned of sailors were fearing for their lives? And what happened? Paul came to him and said, Men, an angel stood beside me tonight. There's not going to be any loss of life. Just the loss of the ship and all the goods, but all, all the people here will be saved. Tells me that in the middle of the storm, Paul was praying. You find yourself in the, in the middle of the storm because of somebody else. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. God can turn things around. There may be some loss of some kind, but it won't be lost to you. And if it seems like there's loss to you, expect God to make it up to you. I am I'm very convinced that Paul spent a lot of time praying for me. He could he could have been real selfish and just said, just you know, Father, save me, like I did on that airplane I was telling you about last week. Lord, if there's not one righteous on here but me, but I'm worth saving. I was, that was kind of like a little selfish, wasn't it? <laughs> Paul didn't do that. He prayed for them. And God spoke to him through an angel and said, everybody's going to be, be saved. Going to lose the boat. Going to lose all the goods. But everybody's life will be spared. Things can always be replaced. Always be replaced. It's lives that are lost. Lives that matter. And so he found himself... You know, shipwrecked. And then he gets to shore. He gets bitten by a snake. And he shakes it off into the fire. Not harmed. And had a wonderful opportunity to witness to the people of that island. See, storms, when they come, even when they're, they're, they're brought into your life by somebody else, God can take it and turn it around to be a blessing. And that's exactly what he ha ha did then. You know, we find in our lives that, that you know, um, in, in marriage, maybe one, one spouse makes a really bad decision. It affects you both. Children can be affected by bad decisions from parents. Parents can be affected by bad decisions on the part of children. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm aware of somebody right now who's, who's I mean, you know, they're on up there in age. And their, their life, they're constantly worried, constantly about what's happening to their children. Constantly. They're just in a constant state of worry. Can't even sleep a lot of times because they're constantly worrying about the conditions that their, their children are in that, that won't serve God. You know, and I, you know, it, 
You just want to say, you, you just got to pray and leave that in God's hands. Pray that those, that, those, that those children will wake up, that their eyes will be open, they'll, they'll start serving God, that they'll do the right thing. You know, but it's affecting that person. A responsible person can be affected by an irresponsible person. You're driving down the road, doing, doing your, a good job of driving. You know, you're not making any, any wrong moves. You're obeying all the laws of the land. And an irresponsible person, a drunk driver, hits you. Somebody who was distracted hits you. You know, those are the kind of things that happen that weren't your fault. It was somebody else's fault. Somebody else. Joseph endured a lot because of somebody else. He endured a lot, number one, because his brothers didn't like who he was and the place he had. He endured with Potiphar. You, you, ha you had to know that when Potiphar threw him in prison, Potiphar knew he was throwing an innocent man in jail. Potiphar had given his control of his entire household to Joseph, but he had a wife, and he was going to have to keep the wife happy. And when she accused him of something, then he, I know, he had to say to himself, I know this isn't right. I know this isn't right. I know this isn't right. I won't have to throw him in jail. I won't have to send him to prison. I, I, I'm going to have to. He was hurt by somebody else's disobedience. An honest person hurt by a dishonest person. You know, we see in the news right now people whose lives have been vastly affected because of you know, sexual abuse in a, in a particular church denomination. You know, those people who were abused in those situations, that wasn't their fault. It was the fault of someone else. They found themselves, you know, in a place where there's storms in their lives, storms that lasted for lifetimes, that affected them throughout their childhood, teenage years, into adulthood. But you know what? In the middle of every situation, especially when it's not your fault that you find yourself there, if it's because somebody else's fault, you've got to keep your heart right. You've got to keep your heart right. You can't have a victim mentality, and you have to remember that God can redeem the situation. You've got to stay free from anger, from bitterness, from resentment, from unforgiveness. You've got to, you've got to make sure that you refuse to let your attitude keep you from being in a place of blessing. Your attitude can keep you out of that place. Even though, it's, even though you're there, not, not of your own doing, because of somebody else's doing, you've got to maintain a right heart and a right attitude. And don't give up. Perseverance is a must. Do not give up. Whether it's because of your obedience, your disobedience, or somebody else's of disobedience, get your mind right, get your heart right, get what you're saying right, get your, what you're believing right, and stick with it. Just stick with it. Winston Churchill said this, and I love this quote. He says, if you're going through hell, keep going. Every storm has a beginning and an end. And there's something in the middle. Now, what are you going to do in the middle? What are you going to do? Persevere. Persevere. Expect God to change things. Expect him to bring you out of it better than what you went into it. 
find the things you can learn from it in the middle of it and and be ready when it's over just to give God praise for how he maintained you throughout the entire thing. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs 4, 24, 10 says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Hebrews 6, 12 says, those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Galatians, love this, 6, 9 says, don't grow weary in well-doing. You will reap. You will reap. Hebrews 10, 35 says, cast not away your confidence, which has great reward. Hallelujah. Um, remember, not all storms just stop like that. You know, we'd like to think that we're in the middle of a storm and we can do what the disciples did. Oh, Jesus, help me. And he gets up and says, peace, be still, and everything's over. You know, it's all done. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes we still have to make it to the other side with some effort. You know, but the effort is definitely wor worth it. Because honestly, when we, you boil it right down to it, we all would like to have a drive through breakthrough. <laughs> really? You know, I don't want to go inside. I just want to just go through the fast food lane, you know, and just get, pick it up and go. Well, that's just not how it works. There are times when God can, can and may instantly deliver you out of some storm. But most of the time we find ourselves in a progression, you know. And it's okay. If your attitude is right, it's okay. Because if your attitude is right, you'll find that there's a lot to learn along the journey. There's a lot to learn that will make you stronger on the other side. And when the next storm comes, you're more prepared for it than you were with this one. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.